Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Whether you're thinking about Sunday dinner or planning this week's meals, I hope you love listening to this show. You'll hear recipes, tips, and food discoveries, along with wine pairings and cocktail inspiration, plus some great advice and inspiration to feed your soul. I have a team of cookbook authors, mixologists, celebrity chefs, health experts, psalms, and more that all weigh in because I am all about living the best life. So I hope that you'll dive into the culinary world with me. Keep your mind open because sometimes we venture off to deeper conversation as well, but know that I cover it all. And this show is eating and drinking and learning and growing like you have never done before. I'm serving up seconds at chefjamie.com and you can find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chefjamie.com. Gwen. Plus, if you happen to have missed a show, you'll find podcasts on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Let's kick off this hour with some flavor bomb conversation, shall we? It's the secret ingredient in so many Italian recipes, adding huge umami flavor to sauces and salads and more. And maybe you're a fan. Or maybe you didn't know that chefs everywhere often use this ingredient as their secret weapon. Let me tell you, there is anchovy in more dishes than you might realize. Anchovies actually lend rich, savory flavor and a a salty brininess, not to mention a healthy dose of omega-3 fatty acids, to pasta and Caesar salad and steaks. Yes, steaks. So stay tuned for that. But anchovies are trending and conversation about anchovies is on the rise. Now, I like to use anchovy paste and mine comes from Italy and I keep a tube on the door in the fridge at all times. And whether it's a simple dish of spaghetti with breadcrumbs, pine nuts, and raisins, or if I add it to my tomato sauce... The anchovy paste melts into the saute of garlic and onions or shallots for this really deep, rich flavor. And it's really, as the French call it, the je ne sais quoi. If you don't use too much of it, you don't really know it's there. It's just that umami bomb hum that brings it all together. Now, I add a little bit of anchovy to egg salad, to my homemade mayo. You can even make an anchovy butter that will wow your taste buds, seriously. And using quality anchovies will add nuance and flavor depth that even anchovy naysayers will love. Now, like any controversial figure, the mighty anchovy is highly misunderstood. In the U.S., unfortunately, uh, preserved anchovies have a pretty bad reputation. They're seen as very foul-smelling and overly salty. And the reputation, I think, is undeserved because this is your tutorial on the best anchovies. So, the most readily available anchovies are anchovies packed in oil. 
typical supermarket varieties are brined for a couple months before they rinse them, fillet them, gut them, and pack them. And the result of the brining is a less intense anchovy experience. Now, my biggest problem with these anchovies that are, you know, found easily store-bought is that you have no idea what kind of oil they're packed in. If you can find anchovies packed in olive oil from a good quality, reputable brand, then you're good. Anchovy paste does fall under this category, uh, but I think it has a place. As I mentioned, I keep a tube of good quality anchovy paste in the fridge at all times, and I use it to season. Now, unless you're getting a real specialty product of anchovies and oil, salt-packed anchovies are the chef's choice, and they're a higher quality anchovy. Salt-packed anchovies are dried before they're packed in salt, which draws out the excess water and concentrates the flavor. They usually come from Sicily the source for most salt-packed anchovies. And they break down once the can has been opened. So either plan on giving anchovies to all your friends or (laughs) uh, buy them from the deli counter at your specialty food store. They're sold whole. You always want to rinse them under cold water to get rid of the excess salt, but they're very delicious. Now, there is also a marinated white anchovy, typical of Spain, and these are altogether different from the canned anchovies. They're marinated in vinegar and other seasonings, and they're used as a condiment. And I drape them over the top of a Caesar salad or a pizza, but they're deliciously different, not used in the preparation, let's say, or the method uh, of uh, recipes or dishes where you would add a little anchovy paste that gets hidden, but adds full flavor. Now, if you are a diehard anchovy fan and you want the best anchovies, colatura is an extract that is made of what is aged anchovy for three to four years. And it's a paste with a very minimal fishy flavor compared to the traditional anchovy. It can be used to flavor vegetables or pasta or meat or fish itself. And you can expect to see it more and more. It's becoming one of those ingredients of the moment called colatura. It is available online um, from an imported Italian website that I love called Gustiamo, but there are lots of places to get it now. And I really think that you can gain an appreciation for anchovies by simply adding a little bit at a time to your signature dishes. So let's say you really want to go, you know, all out and go big. If you serve a couple of those salt-packed and rinsed anchovies alongside a salad of tomatoes with basil and mozzarella, good bread, maybe olives, cheese, salumi... It's particularly delicious, and I have a feeling that you might acquire a fondness to them. Now, fried anchovies, oh, particularly good, with fresh lemon and a very cold glass of beer. Um, You can start small and add a teaspoon of anchovy paste the next time you make my Italian-American pasta sauce, which you heard about last week, by the way. It's an oven-roasted tomato sauce that I love, and it seemed you did too. Thank you for all the glorious feedback. I sent the recipe uh, to dozens of listeners, and I'm happy to send it to you as well. If you add a little bit of anchovy paste, the flavor blends in. It adds tremendous umami. You will never know it's there. You will just know it's good. And 
Never Say Never is a good lesson when it comes to anchovies in general. So if you want to dish on anchovies, I will gladly dish with you. And if you'd like that roasted tomato sauce recipe or my best tips on anchovies for every palate, just email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com. And that is my weekend sermon on big flavor. And I hope that it made you hungry. Okay, it's time for food news this week. Haagen-Dazs, oh, those are just sweet words, aren't they? Haagen-Dazs is releasing a boozy ice cream collection. And personally, I am crazy excited. So the ice cream brand is releasing an all-new spirits collection featuring five boozy ice cream flavors. They are Irish cream brownie and bourbon vanilla bean truffle. And each pint is made to pair perfectly with your favorite cocktail. Well, I say cheers to that. Now, if you're thinking what might happen if you eat a whole carton in one sitting, don't deny it. We've all been there. You don't have to fret. Uh, These ice creams are made to taste like cocktails and spirits, but they contain only a half a percent of alcohol. So you won't expect to feel buzzed after indulging. It's called the Haagen-Dazs Spirits Collection. The news just released. And they will be widely available in freezer aisles around and across the nation this April. So I think you should start making room in your freezer stat, don't you think? Now coming up in your radio, you don't want to touch your dial. Because we are going to get to five a day, the most fun way. If you are not eating enough vegetables, well, the six-time cookbook author, Isan Sivak, is sharing with you a beautiful one-of-a-kind baking book that, yes, shares vegetables in dessert. So stay tuned. It's really uh, an insightful new discovery in the food world. Also, we're going to dig deep a little later, and we're going to talk about eight dates how to make love come alive in your life. Doctors Julie and John Gottman will be here. Plus, before the end of the hour, I will share my last bite. It's a spicy black bean soup. Oh, that you are going to love. And by the way, it's just four ingredients. I'm good like that, you know. (laughs) I'm glad you're listening. And there is lots more fabulous food and delicious conversation in your radio. So don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen here. I'll be right back. This is where culinary knowledge and inspiration abounds. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. It's the most fun way to five a day. Wait till you see Izan Spevak's vegetable cakes. Izan is a six-time cookbook author, a well-respected food writer, and a TED Talk superstar who loves vegetables, but not as you know them. 
Her new release is a beautiful one-of-a-kind baking book devoted to vegetables in desserts with wonderfully original creations that promise deliciousness as well as health. Izan's joyous love of food is infectious, and I am delighted that she is here to dish, and I'm very glad to have you. Welcome. Hi. Great, great to be here. <laughs> yes, and lovely to have you. The photographs are so beautiful, Izan, in the book that I have to tell you, while at first glance I thought, really? I have to say, it is so inspiring. Why aren't we using vegetables in desserts before you came along? Well, there <laughs> are historic uh, precedents for using vegetables in desserts. The one that most Americans will know is um, carrot cake. Obviously, carrot cake's everywhere, and there's so many different kinds of carrot cake from very healthy ones to super indulgent ones. Um, and so, yeah, we're very familiar with carrots and cakes. And then there's zucchini bread. And, of course, there's pumpkin pie. So we have come across vegetables in cakes before, but maybe it's limited to those three. And I was like, why only those three? Why can't we... <laughs> explore all of the other vegetables and see what happens. And what has culminated, what you've created, are these beautiful art pieces that allow you in many ways to highlight the beauty of a seasonal vegetable. And in some ways, I should say, a hide cauliflower, right? <laughs> and you've created this sweet, savory uh, balance that is just beautiful, and you've started a movement. It's all the rage. Well, that, that's so kind of you. Yes, I mean, some of the recipes are definitely smuggling vegetables in cakes. <laughs> Good work. And some of them, in fact, most of them are celebrating the vegetables. Um, you know, carrot cake, the carrots aren't hidden. The, the fact that you get little kind of um, strips of carrot in there is kind of what you're there for. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I kind of, wanted to explore how that could be. And so even cauliflower, one of the cauliflower recipes is absolutely stealth. You would never guess that there's cauliflower in there, but there's quite a lot. And then another cauliflower cake recipe in there has a whole cauliflower baked into it, so you can absolutely see it there. But it's been marinated with coconut and maple syrup, and it's just delicious and very present, but... Um, definitely, you know, sweet and not as you know it. And we know, of course, the health benefits of brassica. So cauliflower, broccoli, uh, all, all of the beets and beets greens, beet greens rather, and otherwise we know are exceptionally good for us. How do you choose vegetables for desserts? Um, well, personally, when I embarked on this journey with this book, um, I just made a list of all the vegetables. And then I kind of went through one by one and thought really carefully about how we've used those flavors and those vegetables historically in savory dishes. Um, so, for example, um, asparagus. You know, asparagus is often, it's a very popular vegetable in Japan. So I was just like, what kind of flavor profiles are they, you know, using, using there? So sesame is often used with asparagus in Japan. And, and actually, I was thinking also about, you know, in, in Western cooking, often there'll be like, you know, flaked almonds with their, or, or, you know, there's different contexts where some of the ingredients you can then kind of flip and put in a, a sweet perspective. And if 
if you have a favorite vegetable, do you believe that it can be made into a sweet? Do you believe that it can be incorporated if that flavor profile is your palate pleaser? Absolutely, yeah. Whatever your favorite vegetable is, um, if you consider sort of how you generally like it, a lot of those ingredients probably will be able to be put in a sweet context. Um, so yeah, or, or you could just you know, read the book and <laughs> see if I've done the work for you trying to figure that one out. Yes. And the herbal flavors um, in a lot of vegetables, you know, we're talking about vegetables and most people are going like, what is she saying? But I, I'd like to give an example of something that's not a vegetable, which is lavender, you know, lavender flowers. The, the idea of a lavender cake is absolutely fine for most people. Um, but really what lavender is, it's not sweet at all. It's an herb the flower herb kind of flavor and then you can bump up the sweetness and it becomes delicious in a cake and so that's where I see most of the vegetables lying somewhere like that so even if they're not actually inherently sweet it's more of, of those herbal flavors that we're bringing out with the sweetness in, in the dessert. I think it's fascinating really I think this is the future of food as we continue to hone our palates and explore the sweet and the savory side and the textural and the balance. Before we dig into recipes, though, I loved watching your TED Talk. How, if you could, give us a, a brief introduction to it. How does one taste color? Okay, as somebody who has um, a music background as well as a food background, um, I've always combined the senses in my approach to either of those mediums um, and really to life itself. And I'm very aware of um, taste and smell from cooking, also the visual from cooking, as Instagram shows us, and the sound of food, whether it's sizzling in a pan or crunching chips. Um, and of course, music has a bunch of those things. Obviously, there's sounds, there's the visual when you're looking at a music video or a show. Um, there's the feeling of music when it kind of hits you, when you, when you feel bass or you feel, you know, the vibrations. So they're very tactile and, and sensual things, both of those mediums. Um, so with color, um, there's a lot of science that's been coming out in the last 20 years or so um, around how the senses all combine. And um, one, one aspect of this would be, um, for example, if you serve um, wine in a way where you can't see it, um, but you serve it in um, with a lot of red or in a, a beaker that's kind of red in color, but you can't actually see the liquid. Um, 90% of people who drink that liquid, like through a straw, through this beaker where it's concealed, say it's red wine, whether it's red wine or white wine. Like you really, the color that you're seeing of the wine has a huge impact on whether you can taste it to be red or white. And likewise, if, if you serve coffee in a red mug, as opposed to a blue mug or a yellow mug or a white mug or any color you want, if you serve it in a red mug, most people taste it as being a little sweeter than if you served it in another color mug. So this is where taste colors comes in because we, we're all doing it. If you see food, it hugely impacts how you taste it. Yeah, multi-sensory for sure. Pause there. We're going to talk more vegetables in desserts from the author of Vegetable Cakes right after this. 
Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Join us as we savor. Izan Spavak is here, and we are talking about her new book release, her sixth, in fact, a wonderfully well-respected food writer and six-time cookbook author, a TED Talk superstar who loves vegetables. The new book called Vegetable Cakes, and this scrumptious place where veggies meet sweets. We made a radish pavlova. I really, Izan, I I can't tell you how excited I am to make it. I'd like to move on to a cauliflower, chocolate, and coconut cake of yours. Is this a good place to hide the vegetables? It is. It is, yes. This is one of the stealth vegetable cakes. This this is one that I I really enjoy, um, you know, bringing to that dinner party where, you know, everyone has a really regular palate, you know, they will like fast food or they're like very, you know, mainstream flavors. And, um, you know, without a chocolate cake, everyone loves that, you know, and they sit around and eat the chocolate cake. And then you're like, hey, can you guess what's in there? And nobody guesses. And then you're like, cauliflower. <laughs> and everybody falls off their uh, chair. Like, really? Yes, right. And how is the cauliflower cooked? And is it thoroughly pureed because for those let's say with um, kids who uh, aren't particularly fond of vegetables or like in your instance you're adding a, a boost of fiber and texture and health benefit but no one really knows share some secrets if you would how do you produce this stealth hidden treat so the cauliflower chocolate and coconut cake um, I was thinking about the texture of cauliflower um, I wasn't thinking about the flavor of it. So I was thinking in terms of the flavor, I wanted to kind of conceal it, hence chocolate. Chocolate conceals any flavor pretty much. Um, but I wanted to keep the texture in terms of when you bake um, some raw cauliflower florets, they go very moist and soft. If you, if you think about a cauliflower cheese bake, um, you know, I wanted that kind of soft texture. Um, and so I grated a head of cauliflower for this one and so it's not finely grated it's just using a box grater on the coarse setting you just kind of um you know grate it down and inside the cake those little teeny pieces of raw cauliflower then get the moisture so it becomes a very dense and moist chocolate cake um with a coconut cream just fabulous maple coconut cream to be specific and you could use a bag of riced cauliflower like we do for our cauliflower pizza crusts right or um, what i make fried rice with when i'm trying to be good absolutely yes you can get the pre-bought stuff is fine yeah so smart Uh, you make a radish topped pavlova i love a pavlova i love meringue Meringue has uh, elevated of late as we continue to explore new ingredients, which you speak about in the introduction. The radishes are so vibrant and beautiful with their red circle rims to look at. But it is a very interesting pairing. Talk about it if you would. Thank you. Well, the the radish pavlova, I was thinking about the bite um, of radishes and the beauty of them. They're such a delicate thing to look at. And um, they look kind of rosy um, in that they've got those the pinks and the reds and the purples of, of heirloom radishes or, or just regular common garden radishes is also, you know, the red kind of um, outer circle of it. And I was, I was just thinking how to make it delicate. And so 
I've, I've um, sliced it very, very thinly and soaked it in a rose water so it picks up the rose flavour but continues to keep a little bite in there. And I wanted to serve it fresh. I didn't want to cook it down. So I figured pavlova is a really great way to showcase that, to frame that crunch of the radish. Um, but I wanted to play with the idea of the pavlova. Um, now, I eat eggs. I have no problem with eating eggs. But I do like to explore how we can um, make dessert as inclusive as possible. And I figured for the vegans in my life or, you know, just people who want to play, um, why not see if I could come up with an egg-free meringue base for this pavlova? And so I was playing with an ingredient that we've only recently started playing with, um, which is known as aquafaba, which is kind of a fancy name for bean water, basically. It's just the stuff when you open a can of chickpeas, um, you drain off, usually down the sink, and discard it, and then use the chickpeas. Well, I've gone the other way. The chickpeas go into a Tupperware for later, and I keep the water, and um, I use a cake whisk, and basically using an electric whisk on high for about seven or eight minutes, uh, and you cannot overdo it, unlike egg whites. Egg whites, obviously, if you go too far, they, they go runny again. With the bean water, you just keep going as long as you want. It's never going to go runny again. And it turns into the most incredible foam that's very stable and you can bake into a meringue. Yeah, brilliant. Aquafaba, I have to say, no one was ever saving the liquid from a can of garbanzo beans before. And this vegan one-ingredient wonder is making its way in the food world. And I find it just genius that you're making a pavlova topped with these mandolin shaved radishes uh, all in very vegetarian style but i can't wait to taste that uh, sweet potato fudge blondies must be a hit yes yes and sweet potatoes i mean right there it's like come on that, that, that's and you know in any context that's almost dessert right um so then I, I just, you know, took the, the regular flavoring, so there's cinnamon in there and there's cardamom, and then I went to the vanilla because it kind of bumps up the filling of dessert. Um, and this one was in the book because it's so simple and it's so quick. And I'm really a fan of, you know, sometimes you want an occasion cake. Sometimes, like, the, you know, you want, you want to spend a bit, bit of time to make a beautiful special occasion, birthday or even a wedding or something. But sometimes it's a midnight snack, you know, and you just want to have some sweet, you know, in 20 minutes. And so this one was the one that is much more, you know, it's on a whim. You can, you can just rustle it up and it's fun to eat in front of the TV late at night or something. Yes, and the color is rich and the sweet potato puree adds its own sweetness and so very similar to a pumpkin bar or what we love of a pumpkin loaf. I like the idea of using sweet potatoes. Can you make us a beetroot cheesecake, please? Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Thank you. It, it's pretty. It is With pretty. beets, honestly, you can't go wrong in terms of the color. It's obviously insane. And I make a beet and apple puree. So again, that, you know, sweet, savory combination. But you puree the beets into um, what is uh, essentially a 
uh, vegetarian cheesecake batter. You use um, cashew nuts soaked, right, and coconut oil um, for the filling. And mm-hmm. the base itself uh, with coconut sugar and rolled oats for the crust. Um, and it looks delicious. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a really visually beautiful but very creamy um, cake. And with beets, it's very interesting because um, they are um, so sweet, you know, even in a, a um, savory context, that they're, they're a sweet vegetable. Um, but they, the way that your body absorbs that sweetness is very low on the glycemic index. So um, you know, my, my sister has a sugar sensitivity and she can't eat carrots because it's, you know, she's um, diabetic adjacent, but beets are fine for her. She can eat them. And so I was aware of that with this cheesecake as well. Um, of course, we're not recommending that anyone with any kind of diabetes um, eat stuff willy-nilly, but like, it is really low in the glycemic index because of the, the nature of the way our bodies absorb beets. Oh, good to know. The book is beautiful. Congratulations. And you have definitely started a movement. Um, and I find it very exciting to think out the bo- outside of the box. Uh, so kudos to you. The book is called Vegetable Cakes, just launched. And it is filled with scrumptious sweets recipes where the veggie is the star. Squashes and corn, carrots, spinach, kale, peas, Onions, even fiddlehead ferns will take you into a new culinary universe where the tastes are intriguing and the results are irresistibly tempting to eat. The author, Izan Spavak, you spell her name Y-S-A-N-N-E, and you can follow her and follow her on social. Learn more at tastecolors.com. Izan, a pleasure to make your acquaintance and to share your passion. Thank you for being here. Chef Jamie, thank you so much <laughs> for your, your kindness. And it's thank been really you. wonderful having this conversation with you. Yes, I've loved it. Let's talk food again. All right. I would like that. As the delicious conversation continues, feeding your soul one weekend at a time. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Don't go away. Your soul with food and wine and insightful conversation. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. John and Julie Gottman have been relationship experts for 40 years. They're the leading research scientists on marriage and family with a million copy bestseller. They say that the secret ingredient to a successful relationship is to do more talking. So we are doing just that. The Gottmans have a new book just released called Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. And Dr. Julie Gottman is here to share. And I'm very glad to have you, Dr. Gottman. Uh, Thank you for your insight. I have read the book cover to cover. I actually read it aloud with my boyfriend. And I have to tell you, it um, it was a wonderful 
learning process. Oh, I'm so happy to hear it, Jamie. (laughs) That goes really well for this relationship (laughs) of yours. Well, thank you. (laughs) After 40 years of research, what is your conclusion on creating a loving relationship? Do tell. What we have seen is conversations are incredibly important. It's part of why we wrote this book. But you know, Jamie, it's not just about broadcasting what you think, what you believe, what you feel. It's also listening with an open heart to your partner. And that listening piece is incredibly important, which is another part of why we wrote this book, how to listen to each other when you're talking. Yeah, which is, I think, the harder part. Dr. Gottman, the the sharing can be learned. The listening is a practice. Yes, I think that's really true. A lot of times, you know, we are so invested in wanting to be right Mm. or wanting to be heard that we forget the individual sitting across from us is somebody that we really love who wants the same thing to be understood, to be listened to. So if we do that kind of listening with one another, we can have a much deeper connection with our partner, build more trust, safety, and intimacy with each other. I thought it was so interesting to learn from the book that you and Dr. John talk about how um, it is more, almost more important to have that communication and that listening than it is to have similar beliefs or upbringing for the relationship to be successful. You've proven in the Love Lab Uh, that this communication factor is the most important, right? You are absolutely right, Jamie. Thank you. Yes, people are different from each other. And in fact, what the research shows is that people are more attracted to people different than they are Mm. rather than people who are clones of them. I mean, after all, who would want to be, you know, looking in the mirror every day at somebody who is exactly like you? Isn't It'd be incredibly true? boring. Yes. So what we really want is somebody who is different from us that we can really listen to, enjoy, and be enriched by in our relationship. Those differences enrich the relationship. Okay, so start at the beginning for us. What is the Love Lab? How did you come up with the idea to create it? Because it, in turn, has developed these bestsellers of yours and the teachings that we are all trying to soak up to have the best relationship possible. Okay. Well, all the credit goes to my husband, (laughs) (laughs) Dr. John Gottman. God bless him. Uh, So 45 years ago, uh, before he met me, of course, he was having a terrible time in relationships. Mm -hmm. And he decided if he couldn't have a relationship, he would study relationships. And so um, he created a love lab that was a bit like a living room, and he had couples come in, take seats, and talk about disagreements or talk about things at that happened during their day, he taped them, analyzed what they were saying and feeling, and also measured what was going on inside their bodies physically, and looked at 3,000 couples following them for as long as 20 years to see what would happen in their relationship. And he noticed there were patterns of behavior, patterns of how they expressed things in their relationships that really determined whether their relationships (coughs) would succeed happily, unhappily, or actually fail. And so 
based on those patterns, we then began to create exercises for couples and interventions for couples that mimicked what the successful couples did. We studied those, and sure enough, they worked. Amazing. Thus, we created the Gottman Institute and the books we've written, and The Eight Dates is the last book in this series that's really about the art of having deeper conversations. And it's not just for those that are dating, quote-unquote. Eight Dates is for those who are long-time married or trying to rekindle or just starting out or not there yet, right? It's really the secret behind the meaningful relationship. Yes, absolutely. I learned so much from the book, Dr. Gottman. Thank you. And I intend to read it again. It is a beautiful read, and I commend you and uh, John on your tremendous work, on the fact that you've paid it forward, that your teachings continue to be very much valued, um, and definitely by me. Uh, congratulations to you on the new book, Eight Dates. I'm very proud and thrilled to share it. Thank you so much, yes, Jamie. Of and course. thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you today. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of informative, entertaining, and delicious conversation. Well, at least I hope you thought so. I hope that you'll tune in every weekend and allow me to inspire you and share my best dishes. And I think this is one of them. I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the hour. Seeing that it is chilly across the country, uh, this recipe will warm your soul. It's healthy, full of protein and flavor, and a four-ingredient wonder because this spicy black bean soup is so easy to make. Totally pantry-friendly, plus you can make it vegan by using vegetable broth instead of chicken broth. So you'll start with three cans of black beans that have been rinsed and drained. You need a jar of your favorite salsa, a couple of teaspoons of ground cumin, and two cups of chicken or vegetable broth. It's a dump recipe. All you do is combine all the ingredients in a sauce pot. You bring it up to a boil, reduce it to a simmer, and cook it for 10 or 15 minutes. Then I like to puree the soup until smooth and top it with a dollop of sour cream, some cilantro leaves, maybe some avocado, some crushed tortilla chips. But it is a, a killer soup and absolutely delicious. And I will post this spicy black bean soup on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, where I hope you'll become a friend and a fan and follow. And I hope that you will continue to tune in every weekend and allow me to feed your soul. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.